Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Watchworthy Podcast. It's your boy, Brother Ash. And I'm Miss Christy. And today we're going to be doing Little Richard, I Am Everything. Uh, this documentary was a great choice by us. We chose this documentary because of his legacy and his impact on rock and roll. And obviously, he always has such a huge flamboyant character. Yeah. Um, so we just wanted to give this uh, rock star of all rock stars an icon his props by reviewing this episode. And, you know, we learned a lot about him, too. So, yep. Um, so this documentary you can find on HBO. It came out in 2023. Uh, the doc featured Little Richard's cousin, Billy Porter, Sir Lady Java, John P. Key, and others that were a part of his lifestyle, uh, different bandmates. Uh, he had plenty of old videos of performances yeah. and even old videos of interviews of Little Richard talking to his younger days. Um, so, yeah, uh, while you watch, make sure that you remember our poll question, what is your favorite aspect of Little Richard's legacy? Um, I have a f- couple things that I'm going to touch on. Right. I learned a lot um, from this. Yeah. I I didn't. Beyond music, like, I just didn't really know much about his personal life, so I think that you all will learn how much he really influenced others, and that's a great poll question to ask, because there's a lot he left behind. Yep. So, without further ado, Little Richard. And I also wanted to call out these two quotes that they started the documentary with. They said, the legacy of Little Richard is complex, and it's almost like having a split personality, which definitely, (laughs) we learned he had, like, two personalities, so... I'll talk about his early life. Little Richard was born Richard Wayne Penniman in 1932 in Macon, Georgia. So this is, you know, really south, down south. He was one of those big, poor families. I think he had 11 siblings or was one of 11. Um, They slept on pallets, you know, ate big one-pot meals like rice and beans because they were so poor. And his father was a strict minister. But you can see a red flag right off the gate, like, where he got his split personality because his father was a minister but also owned a bootleg club. How are you going to be the minister and own the juke joint? I don't know. But he did both. And so little Richard wanted to be like his father. He wanted to become a minister. Um, They also said he was like one of those families that was in church all day. He went to the Baptist church with his mother, and then he went to the AME church with his father. So um, he was always around singers, musicians, music. And, you know, he said that rock and roll didn't exist back in his day. It was just all blues music. All the greats really started in the church. Yeah, truthfully. I feel like all the rock and roll and all the R&B greats specifically starting the church. (laughs) Yeah, I think that just goes back to the history of music, right? Like, don't they say... Like those Negro spirituals and gospels, kind of like the start yeah. of all songs. Yeah. Um. So he loved to sing, but he was really extra with it from the very beginning. They didn't even want him to sing in the choir at church because he was too much. Um. And he so, said they didn't let him sing because he wouldn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I'm talking about. Like he had that kind of personality, and he just loved to sing. So little Richard would also have, you know, this other side to him where he would like to play in his mom's makeup, dress up in the curtains, dress up in the sheets, whatever he could find. Um, Because clearly he was gay, he was homosexual, and he was expressing himself at an early age. And that clearly didn't go over well with his father. Um, And so he said that his dad actually kicked him out. And a white couple that owned one of the speakeasies in Macon, Georgia, took him in. So it was a gay speakeasy that was, like, really open to everybody. And so they kind of took him under his wing. Very young age. They didn't say what age, but this is, like, teens. This is um, even before the age of 20. And so he said during that time he was seeing a lot of blues and gospel. Again, rock and roll that we know it today doesn't even exist yet. Like, 
you know, spoiler alert, he invented it. <laughs> so um, they said that when he was, you know, trying to perform in these speakeasies or whatever, one day Sister Rosetta Tharp came to town. And if you guys are not familiar with her, she was one of these big, you know, gospel singers that had her own twang at the mm-hmm. time. This is like the late 40s, early 50s. Um, and so, of course, it just took, you know, a sister helping a brother out. Rosetta Tharp came to town and gave him his first ch- chance to sing. Um, and that was his first time ever being on a stage. So imagine you make that leap. You know, you're, you've been a church musician going from, you know, church. Oh, that's so nice, baby. Everybody loves when you sing. Yeah. To now you're hitting the stage. So it gives you a little new adrenaline rush. Um, so two years later... He started on the Chitlin circuit. And that's also a phrase. I'm showing my black card right now. Y'all might revoke it, but I didn't know it was called the Chitlin circuit back then. I knew that a lot of artists like Ma Rainey and and those folks, um, they would kind of go on this cross country tour. It wasn't even cross country. I love the Chitlin circuit. Yeah. It's like that Tennessee area, Georgia. You're not going too far, but you're still making a name for yourself. We found out basically black artists found out we got to go to our people. Yeah. And we our music is just, especially at the time, it was so innovative and so amazing that once you got it to those crowds, it ended up seeping into crowds it wasn't supposed to seep into. Yeah. And that's how you got artists to this day dominating, black artists dominating almost every genre, almost every industri- industry of music and art. And it's worldwide now. Mm-hmm. But it started at the Chitlin Circuit and us saying, you know what, if we can't play at day clubs... Let's go to our own clubs. Let's bring that back. Yeah. <laughs> Let's bring that back. Um, truly, because, not to get off topic, but I remember recently some folks were complaining that a certain, we live in Jersey, a certain North Jersey bar slash lounge was racist and wasn't really letting black people in or charging black people extra cover fee. And I'm uh. like, dang, in the 2020s, even today, um, they don't really want us in their clubs. They just want our money. And that's I think crazy. I think that's what we learned with Little Richard, too. me not to go to that spot. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be I'll tell you I the name, yeah. Extra bread just because I'm black. <laughs> um, and so at this time, little Richard, he's starting to get on the Chitlin circuit. He performed in drag. He had a whole persona, Princess Levon. And this just goes to show that our underground culture was a little more accepting. They didn't say like, oh my God, everybody hated his alter ego and, and egged him off the stage. Like none, none of that happened. No. Um, everybody was pretty cool with him dressing up as Princess Levon. And so, you know, I just wrote down here in my notes, late night drinking, dancing. It allowed for the lines to be blurred. That's what they said in the documentary. And we're talking about a time where being homosexual is literally illegal. It is against the law. I often forget that that was a thing. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Exactly. So um, at that time, he met singer Billy Wright. So now you're getting a little traction. You know, you're not just singing in the choir no more. You're starting to tour a little bit. And he met Billy Wright, who was at the Peacock Club in Atlanta. And this man was openly gay. That really opened Lil Richard's eyes. Like, oh my gosh, like it's possible for him to do it, so I can do it. And that's crazy that like Little Richard went on to influence so many others, but he was influenced by Billy Wright. So it really, representation matters. That just goes to show. And so um, that's when Billy Wright helped him get his first record deal. By record deal, they meant like recording on wax. Because at that time, it cost money to get in the studio and record something. And so he recorded his first record, and that just made him even more famous in his hometown. So he's still kind of local. And for the first time in his life, Richard's father was finally proud of him and welcomed him back home. That surprised me. Red flag. (laughs) Red flag. But that also surprised me because I didn't expect 
a lot of the times back then, uh, black fathers were so proud that if they had a son that was openly gay, even if he was willing to help and contribute to the household, oftentimes the father wouldn't accept it. Yeah. So I was surprised to see that even though he was, you know, pretty, uh, you know, forward and not supporting his decision to be a homosexual, he did allow, he found proud, proud, excuse me, he found pride in his son because of what he was able to do, um, the success he was able to, you know, gather by itself. So that, that threw me a little bit. And they didn't talk about his parents too much, but I remember somebody in the documentary saying his mom always accepted him for who he was as well. So it didn't sound like he came from this crazy, abusive, terrible past. Um, we don't know everything, but from the documentary, that's what they shared. Um, and so then he's also influenced by another artist. His name was Escrieta. Um, he was also queer and he taught little Richard how to play piano. So he didn't even know how to play piano yet. They told us this anecdote about how his grandfather had a piano in the house, but he would just bang on the keys. He never really learned. And so it's just like little Richard taking pieces from all these other artists and like, creating who we know today as little richer like this guy gave him a little bit of the look this guy gave him a little bit of the sound um even rosetta tharp like that woo like he kind of got that from her mm-hmm. so um people have said you know oh he stole so and so swag but it wasn't him stealing their swag it was just them bringing out who he really was yeah. and so richard's best friend um he ended up shooting his richard's dad red flag what kind of people do you have around <laughs> yeah, you that's crazy um and so with his dad gone, Richard has to make ends meet. I told you they got 11 mouths to feed. Um, so he takes a dishwashing job where he couldn't even eat or use the restroom at this spot. But you got me in here washing dishes. Look, if one thing can make you want to go hard and chase, chase your dreams so you can make enough money to not have to do, segregation will, will do that yeah. for you. That's crazy. Imagine making $15 a week. A week. And motherfuckers is telling you to go outside to pee. Yeah. And so you can't even eat at the spot that you're working at to make ends meet for your mama. But you're still part of these groups. You're still touring all around the South um, and not really a big household name just yet. So I'm sure it was tough. I'm sure they had to sleep on hard floors and and skip some meals and everything. Um, But then it just takes a friend, somebody you meet. In the creative space, and I love you and I, when we're in creative spaces, we meet other creatives, and you're like, oh, you know how to play this, I know how to do that, let's get together. And so he met his drummer, Charles Connor, Um, he joined him, and he made up Little Richard's band, which he called the Upsetters. Wow. So in 19, he really, actually, going back, I guess he, in hindsight, knew he would be upsetting. Yeah, I love that name. Yeah, he would be upsetting the genre. The Upsetters. So in 1955, uh, he was born in 1932, so what is he, 20-something now, 23? He records a demo, and execs didn't think much of it. As usual, you know, uh, he might be a star in our eyes, but to white execs, they're like, nah, not my cup of tea, especially in 1955. Um, But they said that he was persistent. He had that personality bothering secretaries, like, no, you're going to listen to me. You're going to hear me. You got to be persistent. Yeah, he did have that fire. Uh, that seems to be recurring in these documentaries. All the greats were persistent. I don't know if I got that kind of consistency, but this is what it takes to become Little Richard. And so um, what they didn't know is that he could play piano. That's how he really wowed the execs. So when he started playing Tutti Fruity, which that was the biggest red flag of this documentary. We didn't know that Tutti Fruity on Rudy, that is the clean version 
Um, the original is actually about anal sex because he was a gay man. So <laughs> they were like, yeah, it was tutti fruity, good booty. Yeah. And they told him that's too raunchy. Change the lyrics, obviously. <laughs> so that was just hilarious. We found that out. And now you can never forget it. Um, they went wild. As soon as he started playing Tutti Fruity, everybody yeah. loved it. That's the song that took off. That they, song was crazy. Yeah. And um, the craziest part was just nobody sounded like that. He's literally inventing a new sound as he's going about it. So and you know what's it's really crazy? crazy? He invented that new sound by truly being himself. Yeah. That's why it's so important for artists to just express themselves. Because when you do that, it's going to be brand new. Because there's never been a you before. You That's true. He's not so, imitating. Yeah, He's not trying to imitate. All the stuff he learned from Rose, from Rosetta, um, you know, and the other people that influenced him, blues artists. Billy Wright. You know, when he truly just said, I'm going to, you know, just do, do me real quick, it was his first hit. His music was infectious. It was like, it was exciting. I remember he quoted like everything. He was playing his dad's favorite song on the piano. And he said, doesn't that sound so sad? Why does all this music sound so sad? Yeah. And I was kind of infused with, you know, post-war depression. The nation was real, you know, in a lot of sorrow. Um, so his music was classified as race music because as infectious as it was, it was only being played uh, on black stations. But what was going on with that was, you know, technology starts advancing a little bit. Yeah. So now these radio stations are like, you can transition to not only the big stations or one station, right? You can get multiple in-between stations with these independent <laughs> DJs. They didn't even have car radios yeah. before this. <laughs> so when they start to get car radios now, kids can like literally just listen to music in their cars without their parents knowing. Mm-hmm. And these independent DJs were playing Little Richard because Little Richard had to sound like no other artist that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the concept of like the teenager didn't even exist until this time uh, in the 50s. When- <laughs> That's so crazy. Like what was before boomers? Just like... All I, adults? I, not all adults. <laughs> it was just like children and like you just turn 18 one day and then you you're get an married adult, yeah. and you're an adult. They didn't have that in between teenager yeah. phase. Like, cause I guess the whole, even when you say teenager now, one of the first things that come to your mind is rebellion. Yeah. Like spitefulness, like <laughs> mood swings. Like, and this is the type of uh, effect that his music had on these kids because his music was so raunchy and it was so like forbidden back then, especially for white teenagers. Yeah, they couldn't um, have that. And you know how black f- families are too. Don't be playing that devil work, secular worldly yep. music up in here. So, he he created that whole stigma uh, where, where teens started to pull away from like you know what their parents were telling them what to do. Uh, so you know the system they not having that. <laughs> so like people are fighting back at Little Richard. You know uh, these label executives are like you know we a lot of label executives were probably afraid to work with him. Uh, people that really couldn't have nothing to do with him because his music was like really really it's and it's crazy. And we talked about this in another episode when we was doing. Uh, uh, what was it? Rap City. Oh, Rap City. Rap City. Yeah. And people were mad at early hip hop. And I'm like, could y'all imagine if they listen to hip hop now? Yeah. Like some I of the mean, stuff rock Tootie stars Fruity, Good Booty now. was wilding. But <laughs> I guess like they had just, people just don't like what they don't know, basically. That's yeah. what I'm trying to and say. And people also are, are uh, angry with people who are bold enough to do things that they aren't yeah. bold enough to do. So Elvis and Pat Boone, right? We all know who Elvis is. I didn't really know who Pat Boone was. Um, but Elvis and Pat Boone were very popular 
white and celebrated artists, right? And they covered Little Richard's songs, which was like a common practice. Like, black artists does it? Okay, we're going to pay more money and sell more records for this white artist to do it instead. Yeah, and obviously, crazy. it wasn't as good. Like, those guys were talented. Oh, my God. It was they terrible. Not, not Little I'm Richard, sorry. Like, it was terrible when they showed Pat Boone saying uh, something. What was it called? Sally? When he sang one of those songs, it was just like no flavor it was mm -mm. yeah it was real bland um and we even you know talked about we might talk about this later in a documentary but just like how much he used the stage i think the rolling stones mentioned how they watched him perform and they were just like wow like he's using the entire stage but like these white artists would cover black songs and it was just bland like they did the same thing with with dolly and uh you could steal the recipe but but the sauce won't be the same But that's why we respected dolly because at least dolly you know sold it to whitney yeah so she could do that uh So Specialty Records gave um, Little Richard an advance, and he was thrilled to buy a home, which I love. I love that he bought a home with his first advance. Yeah. But he wasn't getting paid like Elvis and Pat Boone. Like Elvis, I think he said, sold more than his records of doing Tutti Frutti than um, The original, than yeah, yeah, I hate that, that. And that's upsetting because he yeah. performed it better, you know what I'm saying? So uh, in New Orleans in 1956, Little Rich rec- records uh, Long, Ta- Long Tall Sally. Oh, yeah, that's the um, And that's his first record, his first gold record, excuse me, um, followed by other records like Lucille. So now he's really made it. He's really got national recognition. So, you know, it's, it's tough that he's dealing with all of this stuff, but at least he's still able to fight through all of these things going on with, like, people redoing his music and not getting paid. Uh, he just kind of continues to, like, you know, press, you know, press his, yeah. his talent through culture, and it's starting to, like, you see a peep of the crack a little bit. White singers couldn't keep up with his rhythm. He even started doing things like, all right, I see y'all was able to copy that song, but now I'm going to pick it up. They finally stopped covering him <laughs> because they literally couldn't keep up with him. Like, we all know that one uh, Busta Rhymes, Lil Wayne, and Chris Brown song, when yeah. Busta Rhymes comes on, everybody go to... We just can't keep up with Busta's no. verse, like, no matter what. So, like, even if you tried to redo it, you couldn't. Yeah. Like, you physically could not do it. So, uh, as he toured, um, nobody could follow him. So he started to become like the headliner. So like he's starting as like the person to open up and by the end of the tour, he's headlining because, yeah. you know, people are like coming there to see him. Uh, meanwhile, black and white musicians couldn't even play together. That's crazy. Like all these people are going crazy for him, white and black, but it's still segregation. So they, the musicians like couldn't be in a band together. Like I couldn't have a white drummer. Wow. Right. But you also couldn't perform for a diverse crowd. It had to be the white people come tonight and then the black people come the next night. That's making it so hard on the (coughs) the artist as well because now I have to perform two, three times a day, five days a week because I have to have two separate shows. Excuse me, y'all, the coffin. Um, But this is, (laughs) to me, it was kind of like a red flag on my part. I almost said it was upsetting, but (laughs) a red flag on my part because I actually would have been kind of like, hype about that like, I'm like, <laughs> so I naturally get two shows like, no that is a red flag that you have to right. overwork yourself as a black artist but you getting paid though but that's not well was he getting paid we don't even know how much he was know. getting paid but to me it's a light bulb switch and I was like maybe I should say that yeah. <laughs> I'm playing but um, so long story short, he like white kids started coming to the black kids shows. They couldn't the black, stop them. The black kids couldn't go to the white kids shows though. Mm-hmm. So they would you know come as spectator spectators and sit in the rafters. But then they started like hopping over the rafters. And this is Little Richard, in my opinion, breaking the barriers of yeah. segregation. Um, so. Rock and roll artists like Fats Domino were acceptable to white people. Those were the cool, um, calm black people. Like not too much. Like. 
And Little Richard was like a danger. Like, keep your kids away <laughs> from this devil music. Like, um, so like he always was projecting sex in his songs, even when they cleaned up his lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Just the tone of his voice and the tone of his song and how he moved when he performed, like you knew what he was talking about. So, um, and that, so like, in order to like make himself less of a threat, he had to like dress like effeminate. That's so. It's so backwards to me. To be less of a threat, a black man has to dress like a woman. This part kind of made me laugh because he said like red flag. <laughs> he would come like to a, a a concert or a show and you know dress you know how he was like looking more feminine. Um, and like the white owners would be like, ah, we don't got to worry about him. Like he's fine. Like right. none, of, none, none of our women are worried about him. Whole time, all of the white girls love Little Richard. This is a gay black man who's clearly gay, <laughs> but, and white women are throwing their panties at him. But then he said, like when James Brown would come in, everybody would be like, all right, we got to watch James <laughs> Brown because James Brown was like, you know, he wasn't that type of dude at all. Yeah. So um, rock and roll artists, uh, you know, so like they, he was the type of guy like he really like kind of figured it out because he knew how to play to each you know crowd and how to get people to eventually you know win them over for mm-hmm. real. So. Uh, he was featured in the film The Girl Can't Help It, uh, which spread rock and roll internationally. That's awesome. Like, one feature, kind of like we said with the whole Dolly 9 to 5, um, that one feature alone helped him spread beyond just America. And and why, I asked you, like, why do we always have to go international before we can get respect at home? I don't know. I don't know if we have to do it. I just think when you put, when you try different markets, sometimes markets get stale to certain things. So when you splash it somewhere else that doesn't get it every day or doesn't have a bunch of other people that can, you know, give it to them, it just has, it's almost like a, you know, adding fuel to a fire. So Yeah, um, a commodity. Yeah, so. But also, speaking of fuel to the fire, I don't want people to think it was all that easy for him. They did say in the documentary he did go to jail many times for just being gay. Oh, yeah. The the craziest one was when they took him off the stage while he was performing. Yeah. Um, And they said that, yeah, we're, we're doing this because you're playing, uh, excuse my language, nigger music to white kids. That's yeah. your crime. Um, so Ugh, God, I don't know how he made it through. Little Richard was a lot of things. One of them was a freak. He was a hoe. He, <laughs> <laughs> he liked everybody. Red flag. He was flamboyant. Look, he was flamboyant and, you know, he identified as homosexual but he appreciated a, a beautiful woman as well. And he, they said, you know, his tour buses and, uh, you know, his band, they had plenty of, you know, <laughs> sexual uh, escapades and all type of orgies Brother Ash is putting it lightly. Yeah, because they, look, one yeah, of the musicians said, one time I had to sleep in the tub because there was no bed space available. It was all naked people. <laughs> look, they was fucking. I'm not beating around the bush no more. They was fucking every which type of way you could fuck. That was surprising. Um, I thought he was just strictly dickly, but apparently he loved everybody. Look, so this is this is what cracks me up. <laughs> so like he, I think he's on a, a tour or something. He's on his plane, and he says he saw the engine turn red or something. He was wild. Um, I thought he was on drugs. I think he was high. <laughs> he had to be. He was like, we were on tour and we were on the plane and it was bright red and I thought we were on fire. And then he got to the show and he sees like this ball of fire in the sky. Right. So then he says, like, he has this crazy come to Jesus moment, um, like, while he was uh, actually he was on tour in Australia. 
Um, so yeah, he was definitely on drugs. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> so he thought the world was ending. So he like, I'm about to get right with God because if the world ended, I'm not burning to hell for none of y'all. Um, so he went to Oakwood College, cut his hair, and gave his life to God. It was just like that, y'all. Like, it was crazy. He was like, oh, I'm done with rock and roll. <laughs> they just took one scare. And this is the beginning of his gospel period um, where his voice was like a lot more restrained. He wasn't the same. Woo! This is a red flag to me. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like... <laughs> this is a red flag. This is a huge red flag. I guess if you truly thought the world was coming to an end and you wanted to get right with Christ, okay. But to just like do a 180 and quit music yeah. and go to Bible college, that was so random. And for me, I almost don't want to call it a red flag because people have the right to, um, you know, change. I'm not mad that he had this come to Jesus moment. Do I think he was high when he had it? Yes. Yeah, they said the ball of fire he saw over the arena was actually Sputnik. It was actually a space satellite. Oh, that's hilarious. And he just thought <laughs> he had to be high. He had so, to um, with that being said, though, I think the red flag for me, at least, comes more from the flipping and flopping. Yeah. Like, this wasn't a one-time thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he ended up marrying a girl from the college. Um, red her- flag. <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, he has renounced being homosexual. Um, he has said that, you know, that's not of God and I don't want to be a homosexual. And he renounced that. Um, and he married Ernestine who didn't know anything about his life. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't know how people are like, Oh, I had no idea who little Richard was before I married Cause there's him. no social media. That's true. So if you, if let's say you could even have one of his records, but if you've never seen him in person or his picture isn't on the record or he doesn't look just like the picture on the record. Then you don't know who this yeah. guy is. Or you, if if you were super Christian like this girl Ernestine was, you weren't listening to him anyway. He was probably shielded from Little yeah. Richard. So, like Brother Ash said, the flipping and flopping, we see that Little Richard does a lot of it. One one moment you got your foot in the church, another moment you want to go back to rock and roll because church and being a minister isn't paying the bills. So, in 1962, Little Richard goes to London on a tour performing some of his old music. Why does that sound like a movie? Little Richard goes to London. (laughs) Literally, like, Little Richard goes to London because he needs to make some money, so he goes on tour to perform his old music. And this is where he meets a little band, the Beatles. Before they're even the Beatles. I think I've heard of them. Literally, Little Richard (laughs) meets the Beatles and puts them on. And this is what Brother Ash was talking about, his influence. The Beatles said they had never even met anyone famous and were mesmerized when they met Little Richard. So by 1963, he goes on a second UK tour. And this time, he has the Beatles and the Rolling Stones open for him because they're little nobodies at this point. You just, you just get a little speck, a little yeah. crumb of Little Richard's tour to put you on the map. And so that really just influenced them so much. UK bands, like Brother Ash said, were stiff, in place moved like robots, didn't work the stage, didn't have any flavor or finesse, and watching Little Richard opening up for him, touring with him for just 30 days really influenced them, and they had helped them learn like how to become performers that we know yeah. them today. Yeah. Like, like John Lennon, Paul McCartney. They were nobodies before yeah. Little Richard. They literally said like when they first got to meet him, they just were mesmerized by being in the same yeah. room with him. Like, they... I had no idea idea. that he was that big. And it's because the artists that we have been told to recognize as the pioneers of Mm hip-hop. I mean, not uh, hip-hop, rock and roll. roll. But I know exactly what you mean. It's like erasure, and we'll get to that definitely. Um, And so the way Paul McCartney put it was, 
Little Richard was basically doing church in a theater. And that's exactly what his performance and his persona was like. We talked about his background. He did come from a church background. Yeah. So all that woo and, and hooting and hollering, he was rubbing off on other people. And Paul McCartney started doing the woo, like Little Richard. And now I'm side-eyeing him because that's a red flag. <laughs> so Beatles Mania, ever heard of that? That took off. And other white people who stylized black sounds and moves started to blow up more than Little Richard. That's a red flag. That really is a gut punch. Yeah. You taught them everything you know, and they get bigger than you. That sucks. Um, and so they also talked about how teenagers are fickle consumers. One day you're in, one day you're out. Yeah. And by the 60s, Little Richard was out. He was out. Yeah, that's crazy. So um, he's just not as big in the 60s as he is in the 50s. So he decides, all right, I need to get back to what I was doing before. Divorce is Ernestine. So I guess your little year of marriage was was uh, null and void. And he decides to just come on out loud and proud, more flamboyant than ever. And just make sure he, he literally made a point to steal the show everywhere that he went from this moment on. Everywhere. They said that he was on a show with Janis Joplin and she passed out. She was performing so hard and he came even harder with his mirror glitter suit. <laughs> So, it was crazy. Hold on. If y'all don't do nothing else, go back to the documentary and, and watch the part about the mirror suit. <laughs> <laughs> that was so it was funny. Like, ah. It was like... They said that Janice Jobson, <laughs> Jobson was wowing the crowd. She had seven, seven standing ovations that night. And Little Richard was like, damn, how can I do better than her? It's like when <laughs> Iron Man tells Jarvis, say, hey, hey, get, get the new yes. Mach. We need the new Mach 10. I don't care if it's not ready. Bring it. That's <laughs> exactly what happened. He literally called his people... And he was like, go back to the hotel and get my mirror suit. And I'm like, what is a mirror suit? And they showed. It was like him. He came out oh, in disco he ball was, suit. He was a real deal. And yeah, it was I, crazy. If, if I could just for, for a quick second, like as a fellow like performer, I don't think people understand how hard it is to have that type of energy yeah. on stage. And he really was a awesome performer. He was like, drenched in sweat. Everything. Every like, night. It was just, he left everything on the stage. I love that about this documentary. Like I learned so yeah. much just by watching this. Me too. And so that's when he started to proclaim, I am the king of rock and roll. And it's a little spicy, right? Yeah. For you to label yourself that. We, I learned from a recent podcast, that's kind of what MJ did. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever called him the king of pop. He started calling himself that. Yeah. And so even Elvis at this point had to give him his credit. They said in the documentary, one night backstage, Elvis said, you are the king of rock and roll. So even Elvis said it. Yeah. Um, and so Little Red, <laughs> this was a funny, just random thing in the documentary. Little Richard also popularized the phrase "shut up." <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Like, I guess that kind of is just a slang phrase that we say, like "shut up." But he brought that out in the '60s, and people just—they talked about how a black man telling white people to shut up, uh -huh. you normally couldn't get away with that. But because it was him, yeah. they just, you know, thought it was all part of the persona. So he would be like, ha, ha, shut up. It, that <laughs> shit was hilarious, yo. <laughs> he would literally go from joking to be like, no, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. Um, and everybody at this point could tell he was gay. Well, like, you tried to hide it. You tried to do the minister school before, whatever. Now he's out and proud. Everybody could tell he was gay, but he rarely spoke about it. He didn't say, like, as a gay man. Oh, man. It was just like people knew. They would be tearing him apart today. Yeah. And so they also mentioned that he always kept his Bible. Even with all the orgies and naked people around, he would keep his Bible on his side. And his band would pray before every concert. 
And so it was interesting, like they said in the documentary, that dual personality, like one foot in, one foot out. Um, And, you know, you and I have both grown up in the church. I felt like that sometimes. I I could not listen to worldly music when I was a kid. Yeah. And quote worldly, what even does that mean? You know what? (laughs) I'm not not having wild orgies or nothing like that. No, I'm not that far. I do have, you know, a lot of things that I do, like. As far as, you know, I curse, like, you know, I, I drink. Yeah, These we're not all, supposed to be drinking. Yeah, I'm not supposed to be doing that. I got tattoos, you feel me? But, like, no matter what, I respected his stance of I'm going to still stay grounded in what I believe in. Yeah. And, you know, we can say what we want about him, but he 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 did go back and forth. And when he was on that side, he dissed the other side a little bit and vice versa. But, you know, I do have to give him some type of respect for that. like Because yeah. some people forget that. Um, but and maybe that's why he was so conflicted. But the fact that he kept the Bible and the Word of God in his life, I thought was dope because it meant a lot to him. That's what he yeah. grew up on. So, and it just made me think about like, and it we, also he probably felt like he was in debt to it. Like he yeah. learned how to do that stuff in the church. And it's just like we kind of called it flip flopping, but it still worked so seamlessly for him. Yeah. One minute he was in hip, he was in rock and roll. The next minute he was preaching, and everybody was like, "Okay, he's back to being gay now." So well, people kind of just went with it. Um, and well, not everybody. I did write down here that a lot of LGBTQ people actually felt betrayed and they didn't understand. They, they just, they finally understood that he wasn't strong enough to handle all that. Yeah. Some gay people, they can be out and proud and not back down, but he would go back and forth and the LGBTQ community, they loved him, but they were like, nah, either you're with us or you're not. Yeah. Um, and so it really all came to a head though in 1973, 74, Apparently, this was the first time Richard was introduced to drugs. All of this crazy stuff that we just talked about happened before drugs were introduced. I don't know if I'm buying that. (laughs) I don't know. But so 73, 74, Richard gets introduced to cocaine. From cocaine, he starts doing PCP, heroin. Red flag. Yeah, red red flag. flag. And PCP... Anybody taking PCP, that's a red flag. Anytime they abbreviate a drug. <laughs> like, the name is so bad, we can't even tell you. It's polymything classification. Whatever the fuck that shit is, man. That's crazy. So, um, it really was... It's that it's the same old story with drugs. You start doing drugs and you start hanging out with the wrong people. He said that his friends started dropping like flies. His friends started dying around him. Yeah. And it's wild when you're touched by God and... All, the same thing that should be killing you was killing them. Yeah. And so he started losing his friends, and then he lost his brother to the drugs. And that's what really affected him. So that's when he had another moment where he wanted to repent, give his life to Christ, renounce gayness again, renounce the drugs. Um, and we're talking about somebody, I don't even know if I mentioned this, but he said that he was, quote, born deformed. He said he got one leg longer than the other one, one arm longer than the other one. And so he said that. As a black, queer, femme, disabled kid from a church family, we can understand why he straddled the fence. Yeah. We, we can understand why you can never fully embrace your, yourself yeah. because of that background. Um, and somebody in the documentary put it best. They said he liberated other people by being an example, but he couldn't liberate himself. I'm noticing that he always uh, has one of these, you know, repentance um, 
phases in his life when he has a near-death experience mm. or he experiences somebody near him that dies. That's true. Um, so a lot of it had just ganged up on him all at, all at once. Um, so he ended up, you know, getting really deep back into the, you know, the faith and uh, going to church. And, and he, when he, I do like how he also continued to sing. He he never stopped singing. He never stopped being a performer. But he also was a businessman. Like he would <laughs> he would be talking like, oh, you know, I'm giving my life to God, you know. Uh, and I'm also selling these Bibles. Yeah, he was selling like, Bibles. <laughs> so he was selling Bibles, doing church events, gospel shows, but it wasn't paying well. You know yeah. that? That sweating on stage in, in a mirror suit money just ain't the same. It and ain't yo, the his, same. when he would have his come to Jesus moments, his whole look changed. Yeah. No more bouffant, no more no. Uh, makeup. He had on a short preacher afro in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> it's just him on stage, just singing real still. Yeah. Like, uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, Little Richard started protesting to get his money after he left his uh, specialty records contract. So that was a part of the deal because when he left the contract, he hadn't fully executed it. Red flag. I'm sorry, but you can't leave a three-year contract 18 months in and then ask for money. I'm sorry, but... So, yes. And this this is, this is kind of why um, a lot of the reason why he didn't get a lot of the respect that he deserved is because he felt like he was slighted in this way. Yeah. He felt, because uh, when he was taking these breaks, he was taking these breaks and not getting paid even while Little Richard was still making money. That's the thing. So, so they said that when he broke his contract, he forfeited his royalties. Exactly. So now you can't even get Grammys for all the successful songs you had. Exactly. So it's kind of like this unstable lifestyle ended up biting him in the butt. I mean, and we know what the what the record labels have yeah. done. To artists to exploit them. Uh, they could have easily given him a portion of his royalties and even deducted it if he yeah. violated his contract. But to get nothing at all, I do understand why he was upset about that. Um, so in the 80s, uh, he was kind of like salty. Everybody like Dave Bowie, Prince, Michael Jackson were like all inspired by him. But, you know, he never got that recognition and they st- are starting to. Yeah. So like our legends, Michael Jackson, Prince, like they're starting to take off and like he's still like, you know, selling Bibles and not getting paid for being <laughs> the creator of rock and roll, which is crazy. So he found a manager and started doing a rock and roll version of gospel. Records. He said, I'm going to get this money some way. <laughs> <laughs> he's an innovator. I do got to mm. give him that. Wrote a book and he uh, embellished like a lot. Red flag. Like a lot. How come every time people write a whole tell-all book, they just like to embellish and lie on their friends? Because somebody said, she was like, he wrote in the book that we had sex when we did not. So oh, yeah. just stuff like that. Like you, I feel like he was trying to just get his clout by any means at this point. But I don't was, know. He just started reverting back to his like old, um, you know, tendencies. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of his like flamboyant personality started to come out again. Um, I love how in the documentary they showed like he just slowly started wearing more colorful tops. Yeah, yeah. And then he yeah. just slowly started talking <laughs> a little bit more about Tutti Fruity. Word. And it's like, okay, so you're not Christian version anymore? Like he be like, nope, in Jesus' name. Yeah. Everything, everything was in Jesus' name. <laughs> so <laughs> he basically, you know, created his own family. And I think it touched on that in the LGBTQ community. That's something that uh, is, is adopted often where yeah. you have to create your own family because often your own family 
doesn't uh you know they claim don't you or they they disown around, you yeah. um or they put you in a position to where you don't feel loved by them so um in 1986 the rock uh, i said rock rock the rock and it was a guy in the documentary <laughs> that talked like that i did not understand most of what he said uh the rock and roll hall of fame was founded with little richard being one of the first artists inducted so that's um, finally you getting your flowers yeah. it only took 30 years, that but... Was, it was bittersweet, though, because he ended up getting into a very bad accident that night or that day. Uh, yeah. And he wasn't able to go. Um, Is that so, some kind of, kind of a twisted fate, maybe? Like, you finally get your recognition and you can't even go to the ceremony? I don't know what that was. Uh Life is mysterious. Yeah. I, that was really sad to me that he couldn't go, but... He did you know, survive. He, he did end up getting his flowers later in life. Um, So maybe that was a part of it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, in 1988, Little Richard says on the stage at the Grammys, they take everything from me. And he continues to, like, say, like, all of y'all artists, like, this is, like, this is why people always, like, act like our artists are the first to do these things. Kanye wasn't the first one to get on stage and say something crazy. <laughs> <laughs> <And> <laughs> Little, you know... Rich, Little Richard dead said, where's my Grammy? At the Grammys! Yeah, I was going to say... <laughs> I don't know if y'all remember this, but that video was floating around on social media a few years ago. Uh-huh. Maybe it was when he died. But I remember watching it and being like, wow, that was really bold to say, yeah. like, call call the Academy out while you're on stage. But imagine imagine if if America admitted that its music was pioneered by black queer They people. couldn't do that. That would oh, be they crazy. Could, they could never admit that. That would be wild. Um, so it's not appropriation. It's not that appropriate. So it's not appropriation that occurred. It's more so like obliteration. Yeah. Um, making people detach from something that we created. That so we hit al- me so hard. We allow your sound to penetrate, and we're going to we're going to benefit financially from it. But the second we can get somebody that looks like us to do it. We're not going to give you any credit, and we're going to act like you were never here. That's what hit me so hard, because (laughs) when they said detaching people from something we created, they literally tell us, oh, black people don't listen to rock and roll. Black people don't listen to country. We do, and we started it. But you're literally warping history to make us believe it's not for us. We're not welcome here. Because as a young black boy growing up, I did not think rock and roll was for black people. I definitely didn't listen to the Rolling Stones. The whole time, they was influenced by Little Richard. I thought we had to listen to hip-hop and R&B. I had no idea that rock and roll was literally... Even uh, Rosetta Sharp was considered the godmother of rock and roll in this documentary. So in 1997, um, Little Richard is 64 now, and he finally gets recognized at the American Music Awards, uh, which was beautiful. They did give him his flowers. Um, In Christianity, you are taught to glorify God and to be humble. Yeah, let's talk about Um, that. But it's like not okay to shrink yourself and declare who you are. So this was a part of him that was another conflicting thing. Because he was this this man of God who believed that God should receive all the glory, but when he's in rock star mode, he's literally yelling from the rooftops like, "Give me my flowers!" And I low key kind of love it. Um, I, I was gonna say, is that a red flag? Like it's it's tough because you we wouldn't have any of these gifts without God. Yeah. So he did give Jesus all the glory, but then he was still in the same breath, be like. I created rock and roll. So I think he he gave God the glory in the sense of, you know, you gave me these gifts, the ability to be able to do this. 
But I think his message, and the reason why I appreciate him for doing this is because artists today may not have the, you know, presence or the the courage, I would say, to say to the academy, to the to these audiences and yeah. these people who grade us, who grade our talent, who don't have it, but they grade it. We don't have the courage to say to them in their faces, hey, I created this. All of these artists that have had a toured in different countries and that are native to America, that are worldwide phenomenons, they all literally look up to me. Yeah. And it's not like he's flexing. He might've, he might've lied about the girl he has. He embellished with, a little things, but not, the but music. he did not embellish the influence he had. These artists that even some of them were still alive and able to talk. They said this man, I wanted to be like him. Yeah. The hair, the style, it may not have been as flamboyant. There was a white man on the documentary who said, My thin mustache that I'm wearing right now, I've worn it for thirty years because it's my ode to little Richard. And but this is this is what I like about that. Well what what I what I would say I appreciated about his personality. Um somebody said when you're fully yourself, you're closest to God. And I just hope that, you know, what we take from Little Richard is that he was not afraid to be himself. Yeah. Um, and I do think that ultimately, not to get too religious, but I do think ultimately, if you want to be close to God or at least peace with whoever you believe in, you should be able to also be yourself. I think Little Richard maybe struggled with finding that balance, mm-hmm. but we all do. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, so I try not to be, you know, too critical of him. I think that he just was very confused. Uh, those are confusing times. Yeah. You know, he he was the first to do a lot of things where you see guys like Lil Nas X. We could um, never have Lil Nas X or even Prince. Yeah. Prince, we would not have. They I all, just can't. I they just can't. all ran and are running because he walked. Yeah. Um. So, uh. yeah, Little Richard died in 2020. Um. In the last month of his life, he did. He was in a, in a Christian mood. Yeah. <laughs> He, so, he he was not he did not die flamboyant. Uh, he died on his Christian preacher shit. And he died renouncing a lot of the things. Well, I don't know if he was in a renouncing state. I think he just more so was like, I think all of God, God loves all children. Yeah. But he definitely wasn't, you know, doing the crazy things that he was doing in his prime. <laughs> so that's how he decided to go out. Um so R.I.P. That was Richard. a crazy, yep. crazy legacy. So let's wrap it up. Let's do some watchy awards, because this was a great one. Lot lots of things to choose from but i would say my watchy award for this documentary is just learning that little richard started the phrase shut up because i say that all the time and even you know i think people might even attribute it to clueless like shut up like no it wasn't them it wasn't the white valley girls it was little (laughs) richard (laughs) so love that he created the phrase shut up that's my watchy award i did i I learned that i did not know that at all Uh, my watchy goes to sister Sister, sister, sister. Yes. Rosetta Thorpe. Uh, Thorpe, excuse yes. me. No, Thorpe. Um, yeah, she, in the documentary, she just said, yeah, I've met this little boy backstage and he said he could sing better than me, y'all. Little Richard. That's crazy. The fact that you told Rosetta Thorpe that you could sing better than her. I love that, though. That's what our culture is all about. Um, you know, in show business, it's very rare that you find somebody willing to give you the stage um when they're supposed to be on it mm-hmm. and because of that we got little richard you know i'm yeah. sure he would have found his way to the limelight eventually but uh she sparked his career um it, it took him from working at that uh you know auditorium or wherever she was performing circuit, yeah. at the spot she was performing at to him ended up being the greatest performers of all time so shout out to her shout out to the watchy awards and so y'all remember to take our poll question if you're listening to us on spotify we want to know what is your favorite aspect of little richard's legacy 
You know, is it founding rock and roll genre? Is it his flamboyant? I'm giving it to the mirror suit. I love the mirror suit. <laughs> his flamboyant, you know, persona and costumes, or um, is it how many artists he influenced? Now, we could we just name ten. We could name more. So let us know in the comments in the poll section. What is your favorite aspect of Little Richard's legacy? It's the Atlas, me. (laughs) 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 And remember to subscribe, rate, review. If you like us, um, send us a message, you know? Hit us up on social media. Interact with us. We love when you guys comment on our uh, social media posts and our reels and stuff. Right, we're on TikTok at watchworthy.com. It's watch.worthypod, sorry. Yep. <laughs> and Instagram is watchworthypod. Yeah, get that TikTok jumping, baby. Yes, and we will be back with another episode soon. Peace. Peace.